This morning on this, this Palm Sunday, what I want to do is draw your attention to the one sitting quietly in the midst of the multitude here. The one who in an atmosphere that was a strange concoction of the misguided zeal of the disciples, the superficial hysteria of the crowd, and the venomous hatred and envy of the opponents of Jesus, the one who came quietly into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Now the significance of this entry is found in that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, particularly Zechariah's prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now those who were present there on this day, they seem to have grasped the, the first part of what Jesus was saying as he chose to enter into Jerusalem in this way. That he was declaring to them that he was their king, their redeemer, that he was their long-awaited Messiah. And it was this in part that, that provoked from these different groups the various reactions that we, that we see and mention, see working their way out here and then in the rest of the gospel. But the second significant part in this prophecy, that the choice of a donkey rather than the more usual choice of, of mount for a king, that the mighty war horse, that this symbolized that Jesus, their king, their Messiah, their redeemer, was coming to them as a servant, coming as the prince of peace. This was something that they failed to grasp. Probably it would be more accurate to say that really their cultural conditioning as Jews made this something that they were incapable of grasping. Because you see, this wasn't a problem just of this moment here. No, throughout his ministry, the crowd, the masses, even his own disciples had never seemed to be able to understand that he, their Messiah, could come to them. As a servant. For you see, their hope was for a warlike, a this world kind of Messiah. In fact, if they'd really thought things through consistently, they would have realized that the only way their Messiah, as they understood, would have entered into Jerusalem would have been seated on some kind of white charger or something of that kind. Now, the reason for this was that they picked and chose the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah that they emphasized. And so as they did this, they managed to build up a picture of, of their Messiah as some mighty warrior king, someone who would come and by literal physical force of arms would set them free from their hated Roman conquerors. Now, of course, all this was very comforting for them, particularly at this time when when Jesus came, when as a nation, they were under Roman domination. They were living under Roman rule. But it was also a very selective and a very worldly misinterpretation of what the Bible actually has to say. For what the Bible actually points to is, as Jesus coming here demonstrates so powerfully, is a Messiah who comes, yes, as a warrior, but whose weapons are spiritual, not physical. A Messiah who comes 
not with sword and spear, but in peace and love. A Messiah who comes to overthrow not worldly powers, but rather the much more significant spiritual powers that underlie them. However, although this is what the Bible says, and although this is something that Jesus tried to get across time and time again throughout his ministry, that he came as that spiritual Messiah, that he came as a Messiah of humility and peace, of servanthood. Yet despite this, this was something that even those closest to Jesus, even his own disciples, just seemed unable to take in. What I want to say to you this morning, and this is the, the main theme of what I'm going to go on to, to share with you, is that I believe that this concept of servanthood that lies at the heart of Palm Sunday, with all its qualities and implications, is something that Christians today also seem to find so very hard to grasp. For what else can explain the fact why at times it is so difficult in the church of today to get people to commit and particularly to get people to serve? Especially in those areas that maybe go largely unsung and and unnoticed, or that maybe require a, a particularly high level of, of sacrificial, costly commitment. What else can explain that except that God's people are failing to grasp that the concept of service, that the living servant, that this is what stands at the very heart of Christian faith. And it would seem that Rather, people too often are, are asking in a very kind of this world, typical of this world, a very self-centered way, they're asking, you know, why should I do this? Why should I go there? What's in it for me? Does it appeal to me? What will I get out of it? People are asking questions like this, these kind of questions, rather than asking first what should always be the first and the governing question for God's people who are called to be his servants. That is, what is my God calling me to do? Is this something that I'm equipped, called and able to do? And, and let's not just leave this kind of hanging out there. Let's try and ground it in our own church experience. One example over a, a number of years We've seen a decline in attendance at the prayer meeting and at the evening service. Now, I know that a number of people have very good reasons why they can't be there. But if, if you go across the board, when God's people don't make meeting together to pray and to worship a first priority in their lives, doesn't that suggest that at least, perhaps for some, that there's a problem with sacrificial commitment. That there's maybe something a lack of a lack of a humble servant heart. And then a few months ago we had to close down the Exodus ministry at Hill House because we didn't have enough leaders and volunteers to run it. Now there may be valid reasons for this. Perhaps, it may well be, God wants us to adjust the focus of this ministry a bit. And, and once we do that, 
once we get our vision right and get that vision that's in line with God's vision, well, then people will get on board. And I, and I pray that. I hope that's the case. Because, you see, apart from this, surely the only reason there can be for shutting down an outreach ministry to one of the neediest areas of our town, the only other reason can be a failure to grasp the importance of servanthood. And a lack of a servant's heart among God's people. And this lack of a, a servant attitude that, that stands at the very heart, I believe, of Palm Sunday is a thing also found in a fairly common response you find among Christians with regard to, to what's perceived to be problems in the church. We see, I've often heard Christians saying over my years in ministry, this is what's wrong. With the church. This is what's wrong with this church. This is what's wrong. That's where we're going wrong as a church. That's what's wrong. And you know what? As people say this, it sometimes seems to me as, as if they think the church is some kind of anonymous entity that, that stands apart from them, stands out with them. And it, it makes me wonder at times, don't people realize that when they become Christians, they become part of the church. They become part of the body. We are the church. And so when there are problems in the church, when we perceive that, then a truly Christian response isn't just to stand back and, and point those problems out. No, our response that's born out of that servant heart of Christ should be to serve and to work. To get involved in such a way as to be part of a solution to these problems. And what this brings back to mind for me in particular is some comments that were made by Lewis Misselbrook way back in the, the 1980s, back in those days when he was the mission advisor of the Baptist Union of Scotland for a period of time. And this, when he was fulfilling that role, he did a, a spiritual survey at our request of the church that I served in at that point, my first church, Guthrie Hill Baptist Church in, in Irvine. And overall, I have to say, it was a very positive report. But this was one comment that stood out for me. This is what he said. He said, we ourselves were conscious of a negative spirit and a negative note struck too often. That there is a lack of commitment may be true, but if it is constantly said, it breeds discouragement unless commitment. Commitment does not come from talking about commitment, turning our eyes to ourselves, but from giving people something beautiful and attractive that they want to move into, turning their eyes upon Jesus, his grace, goodness, and living presence. Now, I hope that you can see that that what this is about, what he's saying, it's not about ignoring problems. It's not about burying our head in the sand and pretending problems are not there. Now, what this is about, it's about the way that we deal with problems once we recognize that they are there. Because you see that the world out there stands apart from problems. The, the man or woman out there, they try to distance themselves from problems. They love to point the finger and say there's a problem there because being associated with problems 
seeing ourselves as part of a problem, that hits hard at the pride that's so precious in the world we live in. Of course, the sting in the tail is that, that in doing this, it leads to almost the reverse of what we actually want to see happen. For instance, say someone says, this church is apathetic. And they state the problem, but they, they stand back, they stand apart from it. What then happens? Well, I'll tell you what happens. The apathy increases. Or say someone says, gossip is a problem in this church. And they say this to a few people, a few friends. They maybe stop there, but they do that. Do you know what we become as we do something like that? We become a gossip ourselves. For those friends, they talk to maybe a few. And on it goes. You see, as we just talk about the problem, we become a part of the problem. But true disciples of Jesus, though, true disciples who are following him in that path of servanthood, well, once they see a problem, they immerse themselves in that. That is in the sense of being ready, being ready to serve, being ready to love, being ready to sacrifice, ready to do whatever is necessary to be part of that problem's solution. And here we're not talking about just being able to go up and put our finger on what's wrong and, and deal with everything. I, I believe what we're talking about here is by the way that we actually live, as much as by any words that we, that we say, what, what we're talking about is, is producing the kind of atmosphere in which problems can be resolved. I mean, surely that's what it means, above all, when we talk about bringing Jesus into a situation. You see, that's not just about saying to people, let's talk about Jesus, or even let's, let's read about Jesus, but rather, surely, above all, it's about living out in, in the messy business of living life as a community together. It's about living out together that servant heart, that servant life of Jesus. But let me here just correct some, some misunderstandings about Jesus that you might, sorry, about servanthood that you might have. Because, you see, people sometimes carry other popular images that are going around over into Christianity. And so they maybe watch something, I don't know, like, like Downton Abbey. And then, understandably, perhaps, they then think of a servant as some kind of weak, some kind of put-upon individual. And they carry that over. And so for a Christian to be a servant means always to let others have their own way. To be almost some kind of, of human doormat. But what we have to remember is that our servant ministry isn't based on Downton Abbey, on Mrs. whatever her name is. It's instead based on the servant ministry of Jesus Christ. The one who as well as a servant the one who was also Lord and King. And as we do that, as we think that way, then it soon becomes clear that doormat servanthood is not what God has in mind for his people. Because we are called not primarily to do whatever others would have us do to make them happy and to please them. Rather, we are called by God to do what's right for them 
in God's eyes to help them to find God's will, to help them to grow in Christ, to become more like Christ, no matter what the cost might be, either for them or for us. So you see then, to truly live as God's servant, that isn't weak at all. Was it weakness that led Jesus to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, all the time knowing that this road that he was on would end for him at the cross? as he gave himself there as a sacrifice for all our sin. Was that weakness? Rather, to the contrary, to live and to give ourselves in life as God's servant requires the greatest strength that is imaginable. Indeed, it requires a strength that's not our own. We can't do this on our own. It requires the strength. It requires the power in our lives of the Spirit of God. Really, you see, it's actually the opposite that's true. It's living, looking after number one. No matter how powerful that might seem in terms of the way our society measures power, it's living in that way. No matter what acts of brutal force that might lead us to do, it's this which is actually real weakness. It's this this way. It's because, you see, This is easy. It's easy to do this. It's a matter of doing what comes natural to us. This is just a matter of us giving in to what we are by nature, by our fallen nature. It's easy. But actually living a different way. That's the strength of God requires that. To live and give ourselves as a servant. That needs the strength of God. But back now to what we touched on earlier. What's the root problem with servanthood? Why is it that there's such a dearth of of real servants in the church here today? Why is that? Well, as I've reflected on this, what I've found myself driven to again and again is that famous command of Paul's in Romans 12. You know what he says? Do not conform any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, that I fear could be our problem. Could be my problem. That we have failed to take heed of Paul's warning given here. That we have failed to obey this command. And so we, we have been conformed to the world. We maybe think we're exercising our Christian freedom. We maybe think we're living our lives free from the rules and regulations and restrictions of the past. And maybe in part that might be true for a few. But I fear that too many have allowed themselves to be conformed to this world. Rather than being transformed by the renewing of our mind by the word of God and the spirit of God. Now let me tell you why I'm saying this, why I believe this might be so. We live today in what many would agree is the most self-indulgent, self-centered age society in the history of the the human race to date. And, And I'm afraid that I see too many signs of that being mirrored in terms of Christian discipleship and in church life. For it is so easy, it is so natural for us to choose what society around us screams at us to choose, 
to choose leisure and pleasure rather than a life of committed servant discipleship. And it's also so easy for us to become comfortable in being a self-centered church. And that is a church that's all about meeting all our needs. That's all geared towards looking after our people, our children, our youth, rather than instead being a service-oriented church. A church that's looking outward, that's seeking to serve, to love, and to meet the needs of this broken world that is all around us. It is so easy to fall into practicing what is basically a distortion of biblical Christianity. Now, now here I want to say, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that in recent times there's been no true servanthood or no real acts of service in the church. Of course there has been. There's been a lot of that and many, many standout examples. And just to to try and clarify what I'm saying and to try and, and, and find a balance, nor am I saying, as sometimes happened in the past, that a man who goes out to meetings seven nights a week and leaves his wife to sort out the work and hassle of a family, that this is a stellar example of service and commitment. Because I tell you, I don't see much service, sacrifice or commitment in that. No, what I see is an, an attempt to disguise as commitment what's really a selfish escape tactic. We want to get out and away from that hassle. However, it does seem to me that we're maybe living at a time when the pendulum has swung just too far. At a time when things like sacrifice and service, just plain out and out simple discipleship, do seem to be more and more marginalised and pushed to the fringes of Christianity. And if we are marching to the drumbeat of this world, then that is to be expected. That is what will happen. That is understandable. For this is the me generation, where it is all about my needs, my pleasure. As a culture, we've moved a long, long way from a code of duty and honour, from the place where one selfless sacrifice was seen as something to be honoured. We've moved to a place where now those who are prepared to serve or to give of themselves are too often sneered at. They're seen as mugs. They're made the butt of jokes. What we need to remember, though, is that as Christians, we are called to march to a different drumbeat. And above all the voices that clamor for our attention, that seek to influence us, that seek to call us to listen, we need to instead, and we are called to listen first to the voice of God. The God who tells us clearly in his word that knowing him, that becoming his, means dying to self and living for him. Romans 6:11. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. You see, when we become Christians, we become disciples of Jesus. We commit ourselves to follow him, to pattern our lives on him, not on what's going on in society around us. And that includes many things, but that certainly includes following him in that path of servanthood. Now, again, I want to say, this kind of living isn't easy. It isn't. Of course it isn't. 
Because it is unnatural for us. It goes against everything that we are and that society calls us to be as fallen men and women. We do have to die, and dying is painful. We do have to open ourselves up to and yield to the power and life of God's Spirit if we're to live like this. And yet, this is the life that God calls us to. And this is the life that God sets before us in the example of Christ. And this is the life that he is ready and able to enable us to live if only we truly give our lives to him. So this Palm Sunday and all the days that lie before, I would encourage you to take time to remember that silent figure riding into Jerusalem with head bowed. The crowd around him were high with all different kinds of emotion. But he was quietly determined to serve and obey the Father. To give and sacrifice and hold nothing back. And I pray that we too as God's people will be ready to do the same. And as we do that then Paul's great words in Philippians 2 might then be truly lived out among us. Where he says, have this mind among yourselves. That you find in Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's come and pray. Father, again, we see before us the example of Jesus. We see before us that narrow way that he walks in and calls us to walk with him and follow him in. That way of servanthood, that way of sacrifice, that way of giving of ourselves without holding back. Lord, today, may we hear your call. May we hear your voice. And may we today follow in your footsteps to be your true servants. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.